Hey everyone, I'm Tyler. And I'm Alicia. And we are Medium Dives, where we want to talk about things, but we're too lazy to do a deep dive, so here we are. We do have a couple things to correct. For me, I found out a few days after we recorded that I mispronounced aphid. Uh, I was saying aphid. Happens to the best of us. Over and over again. Yeah, and it's consistently. Aphid. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's my little correction, and I believe that Tyler has one as well. I also have a correction. My sincerest apologies to anyone who had to listen to me say disheveled members of Disney employees. I meant to say disgruntled. And that's what happened. So it is what it is, and I apologize. You're getting our authentic selves, okay? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, my authentic stupid self, which is exactly. a rare, no, not a rare form. It's a common <laughs> form. It happens on the daily. I love Anywho. It. Also, I don't know why I feel the need to share this, but mm-hmm. Tyler and I found out today that we have the same exact <laughs> neck pain issues. Alicia, you need to get out of my head and body. It's wild. Like identical. We have the same sleeping habits. Like I have a specific, not ritual, but like habit that I need to follow in order to fall asleep. And Alicia, to a T, follows it. And it just blew my mind. Yeah. Like we both need to carefully adjust our position so that we can fall asleep before we're in a position long enough for our neck to hurt. To be in pain. Yeah. (laughs) Insane. Wild, wild. And that's more proof why we are the same person. Yeah, just had to share that we are the same, um, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) So for today's episode, I am going to share with you something that has completely ruined my life. (laughs) Phenomenal, I can't wait. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you know how there are certain things that you learn in life that just like stick with you and you think about them all the time in various situations, keep you up at night, uh... It just is a pervasive thing. Yes. Okay. So like in college, I took a memory class and I learned that just because you are confident in a memory, that it is just not accurate. Memory is incredibly malleable. Yeah. And like I knew that, but I always assumed that like if you were sure that you remembered something correctly, that it means it's yep, accurate, yeah. but it's I'm just not. a pretty girl. I believe yeah. in this fully. How could it um, not be true? Yeah. Honestly, I got to a point where I'm like, well, I kind of have to live my life just believing in my own memory anyway. Because like <laughs> girl, what yes. else did I do? <laughs> and actually, funnily enough, my memory of that fact was a little distorted. Amazing. <laughs> and amazing. It's actually, um, better than I had in my brain. So I'm glad I did all this research again. And also, if you are misremembering an event, I don't care. I 2024 is the year of women's wrongs. I fully support <laughs> women's wrongs consistently. And so if you're lying to someone straight up and you believe it to be true, you keep lying to them. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. And you know what? It's not a lie if you truly believe it in your heart. 100%, right? Ignorance is bliss and we live in our own realities. Yes. Okay, but so basically, I was remembering how little confidence relates to the accuracy of a memory. Absolutely. But that's like primarily focused on flashbulb memories and not as much everyday memories. As much. And very similar to the Dunning-Kruger effect, right? Where when you are in a field, like let's say you're in mechanical engineering, the more you learn about that field, the more that you recognize you know nothing. But people who are so confident that they know everything are at the beginning, it's a reverse bell curve. And they think they know everything because they literally know nothing. Yeah. 
which is a big problem we face in today's society. (laughs) No, but you're right. And actually, in studies of eyewitness testimonies, the witnesses that scored better on recall actually had less confidence than the ones who scored worse. Yes. And I think that... I did not find evidence of this anywhere, so I could be talking out of my ass. But I think that acknowledging... I, it's true. I don't care. <laughs> Women's wrongs. <laughs> I think that acknowledging, um, I think if you're kind of like the bystander effect, like if you're aware of it, it kind of lessens it a little bit. Like now if I was scoring my own sure. memories, I probably wouldn't be as confident as before. So I wouldn't have as much of a mismatch between confidence and accuracy because I like know about this as a thing. Gotcha. So I'm going to go into flashbulb memories. So flashbulb memories are, which it sounds like you already know about. Yeah. Yeah. I think this, like this entire section, because I took a bunch of psychology courses, I think the memory is so absolutely fascinating. So I'm really glad you're talking about it. And please feel free to supplement because. Sure. I'll supplement with incorrect information, (laughs) but I will believe it to be true. Damn it. (laughs) Okay. But so to describe flashbulb memories, they are vivid recall of circumstances in which someone first heard about an important event or experienced an important event but frequently people think about it in the context of like learning about the information so like where were you when you heard about 9-11 yeah but they can also be like personal events that are very important or surprising and basically people assume that flashbulb memories are accurate but research has shown that they are actually, like, no more accurate than any other regular memory. What is distinctive about it is how vivid it is and how confident we are that they are correct and we know everything about it. And so these two things kind of are to compare, like, flashbulb memories versus, like, ordinary everyday memories. So this one guy, William Brewer, he had a study where he had participants record a self-selected memory, like, just, like, anything from their day that they wanted to write down. And then also they had like beepers that would go off randomly and they were supposed to write down like what was going on at that time. So then later they would be asked to recall this random one and then the one that they self-selected for that day. So one thing they found was that the full and correct memories were associated with vividness. So like this is an example of everyday memories where vividness, similar to flashball memories being very vivid, actually were correlated with accuracy. So that's interesting. Also, there were just not as many distortions in memory compared to flashbulb memories based on other studies. Gotcha. So from that, we can kind of surmise that ordinary recall is like, based on that one study alone, (laughs) ordinary memories are better at recall. But then there was another study. This one was by Charles Weaver. And he really lucked out because he was going to have students record the circumstances around seeing their roommate when they went home that afternoon after class. It was, like, done at a university. So, like, what they were wearing, where they saw them, etc., what they talked about. Coincidentally, the bombing of Iraq, the beginning of the 1991 Gulf War, began that same evening after class. So um, when the students returned to class a couple days later, he had them record their memories about hearing the news of that. So he was in this very unique position to compare, like, what might be a flashbulb memory to an ordinary memory. And basically, he found that there were no significant differences in recall accuracy between the two events. So they both had about the same level of errors. But the bombing memory had a much higher confidence rating from, like, across yep, the board. Yep, that makes sense. Yep. Just more proof that confidence means nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and you learned it here first. Do not be confident, ever. 
doubt yourself always. Exactly. Instill fear. This is basically a how-to on how to, like, gaslight yourself constantly. <laughs> I do want to apologize to everybody because I'm truly just taking something that has, like, ruined my life. And Hope it like, ruins yours, too. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so one theory of, like, why flashbulb memories occur was developed by Brown and Kulik, and it was called the now print theory, which is the idea that there's like a special brain mechanism taking place and is triggered when we believe that a consequential event is happening. Yeah. So basically, like, if our brains are like, oh my god, this is important, that our brain takes a snapshot yeah. of it. Some criticisms of this theory is that it assumes that the memories are accurate. And it's... <laughs> so... Uh... <laughs> But, like, this was an earlier study, you know what I mean? This theory came about when people were doing memory studies on this type of recall, and people just weren't even questioning it. They weren't even trying to figure out if they were accurate. They're just like, well, of course yeah. they're accurate. Because we all thought yeah. that they were. It also assumes that the memory is actually formed at the time of the event itself. And some argue that these flashbulb memories are actually formed afterwards when we realize how important it is, which could also help explain why they can be inaccurate, which I will get into a little bit later in another study. Gotcha. I also know that there's like a consolidation period where you experience something and it goes into short-term memory where it'll be processed for a bit and then go into long-term memory if you deem it as worthy of remembering, which is why we don't remember like day-to-day. -day. True. There's probably a lot there. Yeah, I don't know how that plays into that. <laughs> Ignore what I said. No, but that's like really interesting though. Thank you for the supplement. <laughs> it I forgot all about that, like me remembering only this from my memory class. And actually, the book that I got this from is called Memory Observed, and it's by Ulrich Nieser cool and Ira E. Hyman Jr. Ooh, I love the name Ulrich and Ira. What a phenomenal duo. Those are good names. They basically selected several studies and then also provided like chapters as commentary and whatever. Gotcha. Okay. So where was I? Nieser. Yes. He theorizes that the construction of the memory isn't a special process, but more so a social phenomena. Phenomenon or phenomena? I think phenomena is used. I don't know. I say either are correct. And I'm sure I'm wrong. I'm Googling. Oh. Is phenomena plural? <laughs> phenomena is plural. Okay. That's what I thought. I just didn't want to really whip that one out and, and be confident. <laughs> yeah. Because what are we not being confident in 2024? Damn it. <laughs> No confidence. We are being insecure. <laughs> <laughs> so Nasser theorizes <laughs> that the construction of the memory isn't a special process, but more so a social phenomenon in which we try to connect our own personal history to capital H history. Oh, interesting. Which allows for like a narrative recall of our lives. Gotcha. So he's like, maybe it's not snapshots as much as it is like enduring benchmarks, hmm. which... Kind of makes sense to me, like, being able to relate events to a specific time based on stuff like that. Like, I mean, this isn't any way related to a flashbulb memory, but, like, I know what year Ethan and I started dating because I know it was around when Trump got elected. Yeah, so it's absolutely. Like, you know, we all kind of do that. So I think that that makes sense. Like, we're all kind of trying to align our own experience in with the important world context or whatever. Absolutely. And also recall strengthen the more... I think in memory, it's called nodes. The more nodes that you have connected to something, that's why just like reading something on a piece of paper is not fruitful if you're trying to study it, but rather being like, I read this thing and it reminds me of a chicken. And so now every time I think of it, if I can't remember what it is specifically, I can think of a chicken and it can somehow lead me back to it. 
Yes. Anyhow, not important. It is important. <laughs> no, you saying that. You're right. I, re- I recall learning about that in class. I just don't remember anything else about it. Um, okay. So then in a 1992 study, there was another flashbulb memory study done by Ulrich Nieser and Nicole Harsh. So for this, they... And I'm only explaining this because I find the percentages shocking. And so I want to make it like clear what they are. So to measure accuracy, they measured five different attributes of the memory. So location, activity, and the informant of the news were considered major attributes. And then time of day and what other people were present were minor attributes. Only 7% of participants got a maximum accuracy score. And even then, there were still like minor accuracies, such as like the time of the event. 25% of people were wrong about everything. That is craziness to me, then. And then 50% scored two out of seven or less, meaning that they were at most correct about one major attribute. That is just wild. And I think you mentioned at the beginning of like eyewitness testimony and how valuable eyewitness testimony can be. Like I remember in my classes learning that Obviously, memory is incredibly malleable, but even for like flashbulb events where you're like, this definitely happened, that can be subject to be morphed by other people. Like there was one study that we learned about where people were asked to record what happened to them whenever they had a flashbulb memory. And then the examiners introduced new facts in like very casually in conversation. So if someone had a flashbulb memory of being at the circus, they'd be like, oh, yeah, when you were at the circus and you saw the red elephant. And then like weeks later, when they asked them to recount that when the red elephant wasn't there to begin with, they incorporated it after the fact. And it's crazy how like eyewitness testimony, especially if they're being like asking lead questions, leading questions can be completely subject to change. And someone that is not worthy of going to jail goes to jail. Yeah. Well, and really when it comes down to it, like when I start thinking about it too much, I'm like, I mean, our entire society is built upon our own memories. And like, it's not that 100%. Good. It really sends me down like an existential spiral every time I think yes. about it too, too much. But yes, eyewitness testimony is basically useless, which is concerning. Scary. Obviously. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So of these people, there was absolutely no significant correlation between confidence that they were correct and actual accuracy. Sick. However, consistency, so them retelling the same version of the memory each time at different visits was positively correlated. Wow. Interesting. So people who were super confident did tell the same thing every time but they just were just wrong wrong. yeah (laughs) and in the study at the end of it they tried to like cue them and provide like reminders of the original memory to see if they could retrieve it because they wanted to figure out like is the original memory just gone now like can they get it back yeah interesting well so when participants were presented with their original account at the end of the study They expressed surprise, which was expected, but they still insisted that they did not recall the memory that they had recorded. That is crazy, dude. Oh, my Lord. This is like a direct quote, but they kept saying things like, quote, I mean, like I told you, I have no recollection of it at all. Or, quote, I still think it was the other way around. Oh, my God. That is wild to me. Even like seeing it in their own handwriting, they're like... Nope, I think no. that's the way that I remember it. Yeah. <laughs> so they kind of found that it seems like the original memories were just simply gone and overwritten with the false recollection of it. Some possible explanations of this is that it's simply like a wrong time slice. So recalling an actual event that happened, but misattributing it to the event that mm. they're supposed to recall, which 
relates a little bit back to kind of like realizing the event is important later. Gotcha. Like maybe you remember talking about it with your parents because you found out later that it was important and you misattribute that to being the first time. Because gotcha. It feels more yeah. Also, the fact that these are reception episodes, so hearing about an event, it doesn't have an innate context like experiencing an event does. Whereas, like, if you're if the event happened to you, you're like, well, this is what was happening before, and then during you have those time cues, you don't have that same time. Gotcha. Yeah. Also, they found that there was like a TV priority, as they call it. So people seem to recall when they saw the news on the TV over their actual reception of the event. So in this study, the TV coverage of the event was long, extended, and often repeated, and there were a lot of replays of vivid and uh, persistent visual imagery. And so that could be another thing <laughs> that that just kind of like overwrites it because it's it takes up more space in your brain. Also, they noted that since there's no like necessary script for hearing about disaster news, like. We don't all have an expected way to hear about Respond, something, yeah. but a culturally familiar one is seeing the news on television. Mm, interesting. So if someone forgets how they actually heard about it, they might just fill in the blanks. I was going to say, often I remember learning that when we have gaps in our memory, not only do we like create stuff to fill in the gaps that can be 100% untrue, but then as time passes, you forget that you filled in the gap with those memories so you believe it to be innately true because like that's how you remember it. But over time, it just gets further and further. like that confidence you were talking about. Crazy. Yes. And I'm actually going to talk about that a little bit at the end. But it's basically the concept you just described. <laughs> also, they found that there were some people who just like, like you said, just made stuff up. Um, <laughs> and so maybe your theory is better than theirs. <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm declaring my stupid opinion is correct. I think it is. I <laughs> sounds more positive um, <laughs> but they were saying that like people might conflate actual events with imagined events versus gotcha. like filling in gaps so like they gave an example of like if someone falsely remembered hearing the news with their parents maybe it's because when they heard the news they imagined what it would be like to be with their parents in that mm, moment gotcha and then they ended up remembering that but that doesn't sound as likely as what you said. Mm. Just like it's blank and they filled it in. People that do research utmost respect. I think it is so cool and so fascinating and so important. And the fact that people are looking this up, like these specific, very nuanced questions. Amazing. Kudos to all researchers. Y'all are incredible. If I had endless money, I would just do fun little research. Like about anything I find interesting. That would be phenomenal. Oh my God. And that's why, okay, if we get enough listeners to do... Just a dumb study of like 30 people. Oh my god, amazing. Like, I'm all for it. I just want to draw conclusions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with minimal I don't care if they're correct <laughs> or wrong. <laughs> I want answers. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, so then in a 1996 study by Nieser, Winograd, Bergman, et al. Is that how you pronounce et al? Et al. Et al. Et al. Aphids. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I listen. Mispronouncing things has been a constant in my It's a cornerstone. So. Yeah, it's a cornerstone to who I am. Exactly. Same. This group was basically, or this study was trying to see what it was like to have direct experience of an event versus just hearing about the event. Gotcha. So it was, they used like an earthquake in California and they had two groups that were in California. One closer to the affected area and one not as close. And then a group in Georgia. And basically, the California groups 
had like 99 to 96% accuracy of recall. Okay. And then the Georgia one had like 55%. Makes sense. Basically, if you're there and it's affecting you more directly, you're obviously going to remember it, which I think can also be, I mean, that's just obvious. Like people I know who were in New York when 9-11 happened have clearer memories of oh it gosh, than of course. like we do. And yeah, it just makes sense. And one thing I found, this, I just like stuttered. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. One thing I found interesting from, okay, I guess I should. (laughs) Get it, girl. Okay. That's basically all I have (laughs) on uh, flashball memories. (laughs) But I have some other, like just miscellaneous memory things that I wanted to (laughs) talk about. Let's do it. I love it. But basically, yeah, the memories that you think are absolutely correct and that you remember in vivid detail are no more likely to be correct than like any other memory you have. So you're welcome. Craziness. Yeah. Hope that ruins your day. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Hope it ruins your entire fucking life. One thing I found interesting from this class I took in college, there was one article called Misinformation and Its Correction, Continued Influence and Successful Debiasing. It's by Stephen Lewandowski, Ulrich, another Ulrich, Ulrich oh, Ecker, Colleen Seifert, and Norbert, Norbert Schwarz, and John Cook. <laughs> and there's a lot to this article. I find the whole misinformation thing so fascinating. And this article is really focused on trying to solve the problem of like correcting misinformation, Beautiful. which is so relevant in our times. So important. But one thing that they talked about is that basically our minds want a good story. And if there are gaps, we're going to fill them in with things that make sense. Gotcha. Um, and then once a coherent story in our brain has actually been formed, It is very, very hard to change it. Oh, interesting. So I'll quote this part. Within the story, each element is supported by the fit of other elements, and any alteration of an element may be made implausible by the downstream inconsistencies it would cause. Hmm. So that's kind of why trying to fix it sometimes doesn't work, because if you fill it in with an element that makes sense to you, and then a correction is given out about that misinformation, it was part of the story you created in your head to understand what was happening. Confirmation bias. We're all looking for things to confirm what we believe in. Mm -hmm. Exactly. This is about how retractions and corrections often don't fix misinformation. Mm. Quote, one explanation for the continued influence effect assumes that people build mental models of unfolding events. So in this view, factor A led to factor B and factor B in conjunction with factor C caused outcome X to happen. If a retraction invalidates a central piece of information, people will be left with a gap in their model of the event and an event representation that just doesn't make sense unless they maintain the false assertion. Hmm. So I guess basically what I already said. But so that little piece about how like we we fill in the gaps and it's hard to undo that is super interesting to me. There could be a whole conversation on misinformation, but truly. Um, Maybe that's a topic for another time. Yeah, exactly. I just wanted to share that because I always found it so interesting. One last thing about memory. Go. And this is unrelated to everything we've talked about. Uh, A little. The whole idea of how stress and or trauma affects memory. Oh, my God. And because, you know, there's a lot of like, well, sometimes it can increase it and sometimes it can like make memory worse. And it can make different parts of the memory more extreme and some not. And I actually, I had done a quick Google search one time because I, I dated an asshole in high school and was just having like constant panic attacks. It was a rough time. And I was like, you know, I can remember like the really, really mean things he said to me. Like I remember little snippets, 
But there is so much oh about that whole relationship that I just don't have any memory of whatsoever. But so I was looking up like, okay, I was trying to figure out like, why don't I have a memory of that? And I'm like, well, maybe it would make sense to me because like in a middle of an anxiety attack, I mean, I don't know if you have anxiety, but <laughs> babe, <laughs> babe, <laughs> can call you the pop black? Yeah, I do. Okay, okay. Yeah. So you know when you're like in an anxiety episode and sure. it's just like your brain kind of turns to mush. Yes. I was like, well, maybe it just like doesn't encode the memory. Also, when I learned that uh, blackouts from being drunk is not that you the drinking didn't cause you to forget it. The drinking made it so that you didn't form memories. Yeah. It's like your body naturally shutting down, not naturally <laughs> shutting down because it's like, oh, we're going to die. Like we're straight up going to die. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, my friend has a very vivid memory of me telling her about a time. And I have absolutely no memory of ever saying this to her, but she said I came to school one day. I was apparently just like the most casual being like, yeah, he once told me that, um, quote, if it wasn't illegal or immoral to do so, I would fucking kill you. I, <laughs> you're like, oh yeah. So like the weather is like 64 degrees outside and he would say that he killed me if he could. Just no, like literally. dropping that atomic bomb. Oh my. Also the other day, Ethan was like talking about like, doesn't everyone get death threats at some point on the internet? And I'm like, no. Hey like brother, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hey, what? What did you just say? He told me no. that, like, he's like, no, people just, like, threaten to kill you on Reddit all the time in the comments. I'm like, oh, okay. oh sick, dude. Yeah. Hey, how are you doing? I hope you die. So, yeah. I was like, no, I didn't. I was on, like, cute, like, pale goth Tumblr, so I didn't have that. I was like, I've never received a death threat. And then I, I paused for a second. I'm like, wait, that's not true. I received an actual death oh. threat. Like, from a real My ex. Yeah. <laughs> like, a legitimate like, Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, anyway, anyway, anyway. But so, because of this, I think actually maybe not remembering that story made me like look into this because I'm like, there has to be something related to the fact that I was in like constant panic attacks that I don't remember. Yeah. And so, yeah, basically, high stress levels can impact the actual encoding of the memory. Absolutely. And so, sometimes it makes things more intense, and sometimes it, it doesn't encode what's unnecessary, quote unquote. I will say in class, I remember learning that one hypothesis, I think it was proven, is cortisol specifically. Mm. When you're more anxious, your cortisol levels rise, and that interferes with memory consolidation. Yes, I saw that as well. Okay, your turn. So today I have two. I think they're a little bit on the shorter side. But for our avid listeners, our day one supporters, if you will, some may remember in our last episode, and others may call that our first episode, (laughs) that I am really... A common theme in my life is trying to put myself in the shoes of others so that I can understand other people's perspectives, especially individuals different from myself. I think that's incredibly important, especially in medicine, to be able to recognize the times that certain groups of individuals were discredited or discounted and not receiving the treatment that they deserve and just treatment, whatever. But this is going to the fake side of things where I think it's also especially interesting to put myself in the shoes of someone that lived 400 years ago and be like, if I did not have the knowledge I have today, which is very little, what, how would I perceive something, right? Um, and so like folk tales have always been very fascinating to me of like, how did this originate? And some may believe in Bigfoot or whatever. And fantastic. You believe in what you want to believe in. We're just trying to find any ounce of happiness on this earth. So do it. Yes. 
But for me, I'm like, oh, Bigfoot, probably not realistic. So I wanted to look into some folktales and see how they originated. I have two today, one that I'm very excited about, and then the Boogeyman. Whatever. <laughs> so I'll start with the Boogeyman and finish you're on like, a high note. You're like, what am I about the then, fucking Boogeyman? Yeah, because I was really excited about it. The Boogeyman was something that like plagued my childhood. Really? Yeah, I had a fear of dying as a child, which is so morbid. And uh, this is weird to say, and I'm saying it aloud for the public to hear, but I specifically had a fear of dying alone. Like the thought of being in my bedroom. I was like six years old, but I was like, if I was with my brother and we both got killed, we're good. Like, I don't know. My brain was twisted (laughs) and warped, dude. But anyways, the boogeyman scared the living bejesus out of me. Um, And also like creaking in the walls at night. I was like, oh, someone is in my wall waiting to kill me. Like, uh, sick, dude. Like, I am. uh, Go. Can I interject really fast? And I should say this later, but like, I, my old house that I grew up in, definitely haunted. And I 100% believe in ghosts. I have seen a ghost. I fully believe in them. But one time, so in the context of I'm in this house that I know is haunted, I have seen a ghost in my room. One time I was going to bed and I heard these like scratching noises. Get out right now. Like in the closet. And I was like, I cannot live through this. It turns out though, this time it was not a haunting, thank God, because that probably was a demon. Was it a rat? It was squirrels that had lived in our house. So my brother and his friend ended up like taking them out. But I'm like... I am so glad that those scratching noises that were there was an answer Holy also God. like if there was yes. nothing and then yes. you didn't figure out what it was I think that's even worse like you're just constantly like, oh, oh okay there's a child in my walls that is gonna come kill me fun cheers yeah. Another time I'll tell you about my ghost experience. Oh, yes. I'm really fascinated about it because I'm not a very uh, spiritual person and I think I'm a, a very analytical person, but also I recognize that we know so little. Like, we are a speck of dirt on a speck of dirt on a speck of dirt in a beach. Like, just there's so much out there. So there has to be more stuff out there and I'm sure ghosts are one of them. Maybe, I don't know. I mean, I don't really believe in an afterlife, but at the same time, I wholeheartedly believe in ghosts. So I've had to like- Interesting, yeah. Work in the existence of (laughs) Fill in those gaps. Fill them in, baby. Yeah. I'm like, um, there's no afterlife, but unless you get stuck here. Yeah. (laughs) Just a little oops. Because here's- I don't think I would believe in ghosts if I didn't have the experiences I did, but like I- Literally, no one can talk me out of it. I mean, because I know my own experience. Exactly. So. Um, and ghosts just, they miss their their Uber to heaven or hell or whatever's out there. Yeah, they're just hanging out. Exactly. They're, they're chilling. Maybe they're lonely. That, and we all, you know what? Maybe we're all ghosts. Hey, that's a topic that no one should explore because it's stupid. Anyways, um, the boogeyman. <laughs> so for those of you that were not plagued by the boogeyman in your childhood, the boogeyman is commonly referred to as like some sort of spirit or entity that for a a majority terrorize naughty children and i hate the word naughty and it's in my google doc and the fact that i just said it makes me want to pop i hate that word there's certain (laughs) words that just rub me the wrong way anyways um so common descriptions they have long nails claws oh by the way i don't know who the author is i'm so sorry but this is from mythology.net cool and also it's the fucking boogeyman okay i don't need to cite my sources anyways so they have like long claws nails they like scratch against window panes like haunting terrifying eyes all that sort of jazz right and so the word boogeyman is thought to be derived from the word 
boogie or bogey, B-O-G-G-E, which means hobgoblin in Middle English. Is it like... Did you know that? No, but it reminds me of the boggarts in Harry Potter, the things that come out of the Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Probably the language is related somewhere. That's probably what... That's phenomenal. What a great tie-in. I love it. I think that there's also... I want to say that there's something called a bog, B-O-G-G-E, in Throne of Glass, the book series. Oh, see, um, my, like, mom and sister, they are very into that entire series. Like, I I love it so much, seeing them so happy about it. Like, the book Girlies, I am all for it. I personally don't know how to read, so I can't do that. But the the people that find so much joy in it, I just love it. I love seeing when people are like excited and happy by something, even if I don't understand it. It's just like, yes. Anyways, so yeah. big fan of that. Anyway, so the reason I had uh, recognition is I think that in a few like books, movies, etc., there are references to that word root. I love it. I really wish I would have taken Latin in high school because oh, um, so I think it's so helpful. Oh, anyways, it seems like it may have originated in Scotland, although it's not totally clear, which I will get to later. There are some reported references to the boogeyman as early as the 1500s. Again, it could have existed long before that and likely it did, which I'll talk about later. When I was trying to look for these folktales, I was really And in my next topic where I talk about banshees, I was really looking for some sort of explanation of like a dog barked in the middle of the night. And so therefore I came up with X and it seems like there really wasn't anything about the boogeyman. It's just kind of made up. What I did find was very interesting about the boogeyman is there is a common theme that the boogeyman is used to like, and also this is kind of true. I think with most folk tales that there's like an underlying meaning of like, this is an evil monster who comes only for naughty children. Again, I'm going to yak that I just said that <laughs> twice. That comes for bad children. And so it's like, hey, kids, be good. Otherwise, Boogeyman is coming for you and your kids, you know? Oh, my God. I can't believe that I let that slip. Oh, my God. Atrocious. So bad. That, in a weird, this is, this is very unpopular opinion but my dad i love truly like the most kind compassionate person i try and emulate him every day phenomenal i attribute so much of who i am to him but he would say the word juice and he's swiss so he would say it with an accent that just made my skin crawl and so the word juice i hate to (laughs) i'm done now let's talk about the boogeyman so anyways what i found to be really interesting is that many cultures have their own boogeyman and so either it had to be one originating the culture that then shared it to many people, or what I think is more interesting and what I want to believe is true is that all of these cultures originated or created their own folk tales and they all are united by this common theme of trying to like instill in kids to not be assholes, which I think is so cool. So other boogeymans in the Semarang area of central Java, there is the Wee Wee Gumbel, Gumbel. In many Latin American cultures, there's the Sack Man or El Hombre del Saco. In Croatia, there's the Baba Roga. And according to Wikipedia, which I counted, and there were 47 different like cultures or regions on the world that had their own sort of boogeyman. And I thought that was really cool, which is why I decided to keep the boogeyman in. Boogeyman, you get a 6 out of 10 for me. But cultures, you get a 10 out of 10 for me. Anyways. <laughs> Okay. Okay. What I'm really excited about is banshees. Okay. Um, again, 
for our avid listeners. This was inspired because of when Greg and I went to Total Raptor Experience. Again, plugging you in Ramona, California. Give me a sponsorship. Um, <laughs> that's I don't want a sponsorship. Anyways, they were wonderful. And we went to go see Owls. And they had a barn owl that they showed us. And the lady was like, yeah, there's a lot of rumors as to the barn owl being why banshees were said to be a thing. So for anyone that is not aware, banshees, they're typically thought to be a a womenly entity type figure that wears all white and they shriek. And if I was in the 1600s, listen, I need everyone to stop what they're doing right now in Google or actually YouTube, a barn owl shrieking. It is one of the most like skin crawling, awful noises that you could possibly hear. And if I was in the 1600s and I heard that, you best believe I'm making up something to like rationalize what I found. I have not heard one. Should I go listen to it real quick for context? I think you should. Honestly, let's get a live reaction right now, please, because it is. And then I'm also going to have you Google something else later too. Barn owl screeching? Yeah, barn owl screeching. First YouTube video that pops up. Oh God. Isn't that awful? Isn't that the worst? Like, you best believe I need something to rationalize that. Everyone, please go listen to it. It is... Oh, my God. Blood curdling. Like, awful. That's rough. Right? Okay, I'm going to have you look up something else, too, later on. Okay. Also, sorry, weird tangent. When I was looking up Banshees, I came across, like, the first five to seven links on Google were links to jewelry stores that were describing Banshees. What? I did not look that deep into it. I actually did not look into it at all. Um, That may be a topic for another day, like jewelry Banshee crossover. Yeah, what's happening there? Yeah. (laughs) Maybe the girlies are starting to identify with Banshees. Honestly, and you know what? I'm all for it. I mean, I think we do have many things to scream about, so. On a daily basis, let it out. Let everyone around you know. Okay, so um, after searching through many jewelry sites, I came across the most reliable website in the world, Britannica.com, not Wikipedia. Side note about Britannica, I don't know why I believe this to be true, but no information that I'm presented with after this point will make me change my mind. For the longest time, I thought Britannica was just the British version of Wikipedia. (laughs) They (laughs) They definitely have Wikipedia in the UK. Like, I don't know why I hold this to be true, but I do. Is it an online encyclopedia? I just Googled it. It is an encyclopedia. And it's the British Wikipedia. I don't care. It is. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) You heard it here first. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Anyways. So Banshees or Women of the Fairies. Oh, that makes me love them. Not going to lie. Truly. And I I think they're misunderstood, but they just scream a little loud. Yep. (laughs) This is from independent.ie, I think. I don't know. So anyways, Banshees are supernatural beings in Irish and other Celtic folklore whose mournful keening or wailing screaming at night was believed to foretell the death of a family member of the person who heard the spirit. Also, that was not from Independent IE, that's from Britannica, what I literally was just talking about before this. So that's good. (laughs) Awesome. And in Ireland, Banshees were believed to warn only families of pure Irish descent. Love that Banshees have nationalist behaviors. Fantastic. Amazing. Very good. We love that. Hey, guys, maybe we protect everyone else. Like, scream at someone else that's not Irish. Only the purest. Yeah, only pure Irish. Like, oh, yes. Okay, so anyways, as I mentioned at the beginning of this, what started this desire is the barn owl to banshee pipeline. I want to know about this. So, barn owls, 
obviously, they do not hoot. They shriek. Again, please go listen to it so that you can join in our pain. Do they not hoot at all? Like, they only screech? Mm, they only screech. They o- According to Girly Girl at I believe her. Total Raptor Experience in Ramona, California. And I would trust my life with her. Yes. Yeah, she knows. Exactly. And in addition to the shrieking, barn owls, especially their underside, are all white. So imagine hearing shrieking and then a white puff of whatever crosses. Like, yeah, I'm making something up to explain what I just saw. Otherwise, I'm going to go crazy. Yeah. And lastly, um, how this kind of all got to tie into like, oh, this is going to be foretelling of a family member dying, is that barn owls tend to favor nesting in like old ruined buildings or decaying areas, whatever. And so you would see something going into an old ruined building where they nest. I'd be like, okay, well, that's an evil person that just told me someone's going to die. Okay, this makes a lot of sense. Right? That's what I'm saying. And that's why I found this so fascinating. And I was really hoping to find more banshees if you will like more instances of like how a folktale came to be and i couldn't really like i looked up like the loch ness monster and and nothing really came to be so i thought that was all really fascinating i feel like a lot of the folktales are originated from like stories to tell children so they won't go and explore absolutely right yeah but it's probably hard to like google for that (laughs) that girl i spent hours googling and i was like googling in circles i was googling stupid like there was no i i just at one point i gave up it sounds like something that like you just need to make up like next time it comes to you like that's because i feel like it's just us theorizing (laughs) exactly this podcast is not the truth i don't care uh, We've well, never claimed that. Exactly. True. <laughs> For any police officers listening out there, do not arrest us. <laughs> okay. Anyways, Banshee aside, I think owls are fascinating. I think I mentioned this on the last episode. Owls are my partner's favorite animal. And because they are his favorite, they have now become one of my favorites. Second to monkeys. Monkeys, top tier. Top tier. are so cute. I love monkeys. I want a monkey. I remember when I was a kid, I saw a video of a monkey making a smoothie for their, like, father who was a person. And ever since that day, I'm like, I want a monkey that I love and loves me and that wants to make me a smoothie. Like, that sounds wonderful. But yes, I also, as a rule, I love owls because I just love birds. Fair. Well, I'll say this. As far as, like, birds of prey, like, owls are definitely my favorite because they're, like, cute. They really are. They're so cute. Have you seen their legs, though? Dude, their legs are <laughs> wild. I think, actually, Anise was the one that they're pointed like it out long. to me initially. Because I, like, you see owls and you're like, oh, there's so much body. They are 99% leg. Yeah. Look up <laughs> owl legs and be surprised. It's Again, wild. ruining your day. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Wild. Okay. Banshee aside, um, while we're on the topic of owls... This is where I need you to to look up something again. I need you to look up a Stygian owl, S-T-Y-G-I-A-N owl, and go to images. Look at their eyes. That is the devil. That is the devil. No. If I saw that present day. (laughs) Dude, that is crazy. And that's not Photoshop. Sorry, for listeners that do not want to Google this one, how dare you? Their eyes are red. Their eyes are red, red, like bloodshot red all around. There is no white whatsoever. Like, and and also I found out about this owl through the lady that did the owl tour. She told us like, oh yeah, go look it up. I looked it up. I had nightmares. Ma'am, what are you doing? Like, that is crazy. I think 
it might be only read at night? I think so. I think so. I'm not sure. Some of the pictures in daylight, their eyes are not, well, they look more orange. But then at night, they're like literally glowing red. Like it's at night, the worst time for them to be bloodshot red. They are red. That's awful. So, anyways, I would create the devil, Diablo, whatever, if I saw that. Present day, let alone 400 years ago when I was worried about gangrene. No. Incorrect. Okay, um, finishing this myths topic out on sort of an important note, if you will, going back to the barn owl, yes. um, they are going extinct. Once no. commonplace across Ireland, this is from the um, independent.ie, but they used to be super common in Ireland, known as the farmer's friend. Again, like you mentioned, owls are birds of prey, so they would eat a lot of the rats or rodents that were eating up the crops. And now it's estimated, and I think this article is... Uh, published in like 2021 or 2022 that there's an estimated somewhere between 500 and 700 breeding pairs left across Ireland. So this is just a reminder, like let them be and protect their habitats. Are they only, yeah. This yeah. might be a stupid question. Are they, no, they're not only in Ireland. And then are they only extinct in Ireland or you know, endangered? In both Ireland? very valid questions and both for a deep dive podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, at least in Ireland, our Ireland yes, listeners. Our life- <laughs> All four million of you. Yeah, I know every one of you listening. Yeah. <laughs> For our Ireland oh listeners. <laughs> Dead. Amazing. That's so sad, though. I know, right? So, switching it up. <laughs> um, <laughs> my next topic is one that's short, but I saw this on TikTok and it has been plaguing every day that I, every day since. Me finding this out. Okay. I need to know. My first video of this, it is an interview with an individual, a woman, and her face is blurred out for privacy reasons. Cool. This woman is a nail tech, was a nail tech, I should say, that then decided she's going to do veneers. Okay. Oh, man. Um, And listen, (laughs) I will be the first person to be like, yes, there is a lot of artistry that goes on in dentistry to like get the same shape tooth and blah, 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 blah. But just because you know how to use paint does not mean you're an artist. I mean, do you have to have some sort of qualification to like do? So I looked it up. In many places, it's illegal. She considers herself a veneer tech, like how there's like dental techs or like medical assistant, medical tech. Okay. They're illegal in many states. But listen, I I watched like this 15, 20 minute long interview and let me hit you with some of the facts. Okay. Okay, She said that doing nails is the same as doing composite veneers because quote, do it. You just do the shape. You put it on there. You use the light. Boom. They're done. End quote. Hello. Hello. What? Are you (laughs) kidding me? Are you Um, kidding me? Pause real fast because I need some information. Sure. What is the difference? There's the kind that you like put onto your existing teeth, but there's also the thing yes. where they shave down your teeth. Do you know what I'm talking yes. about? So I think those are differences in veneer. So you can have crowns where they shave it to a nub and they just like put on another tooth. I think I saw something recently that veneers, you are putting something on in the on front. Top. So it's not like an all encompassing, but they still need to shave it down in order for the veneer to fit. Gotcha. So they're really just like... I see why – I see her logic in getting there, but she is wrong. Okay, go on. <laughs> One million percent wrong. But I do see the crossover. Like, there is a lot of artistry that goes into being a nail tech, and you're working with, like, 
I guess, a similar medium. But you're but putting like, it in someone's mouth. Nails versus someone's health. Like, I, it gets so much worse. Okay. Um, so, don't worry. She was educated. She took a course. You want to guess how long the course was? Um, a week. One day. Oh. It was online. Oh, no. So, she paid $800 for a course to be certified, quote-unquote certified, where she did a one-day, eight-hour online course. And you want to know the instructor of the course? Who? She was a, uh, a a dental assistant for two years prior to, and listen, I will be the first person to say dental assistants, medical assistants, every role in a healthcare organization, whether it's dentists, whether it's uh, doctors, whether it's NPs, whatever, is just as important that as the That does not give you the right to teach people how to apply videos. No, babe. No, you are not a dentist. You are not. You have a lot of information and expertise and knowledge, but you are no And you're dentist definitely not, I mean. By any stretch of the an imagination. An instructor at that. An instructor <laughs> with dealing with someone's health. That's wild. It gets worse. It okay. gets so much worse. Okay. Oh, my God. So in one of these snippets, she thinks that licensing required to become a healthcare professional is a scam by the government to, quote, stop people from making money, end quote. Another quote, if everyone can make money from doing veneers, that takes away jobs from dentists and doctors and stuff, end quote. Babe, what? Are you kidding me? Um, oh, no. I. Oh, no. I feel like we're getting into an area Like, there's a new trend of people just, like, not believing in science and, like... Yes. And I I recognize, I can only begin to imagine the amount of distrust that has built up over the years, especially for marginalized individuals. Like, I... I recognize and understand and that the the onus is then on the medical professionals that they are seeing to reestablish that trust with them. Like there is so much responsibility in the medical professionals to recognize one, that this is a problem Two that this mistrust is, is valid because their mother or their grandmother or whoever may have had one of the worst experiences of their lives while in a doctor's office. So like I recognize, and that is something that I'm very, very passionate about and really want to address with all of my patients to like really build that trust with them. If I do become a doctor, I'll go on fingers crossed. We'll you see. Um, <laughs> but this is different, babe. This is, yeah, this is dangerous to people. Like, like yeah, just be careful, everybody. Um, and maybe don't go to people who get certified for one day certification one courses. Day. Yes. I think that's also a really important takeaway is for any health professional that you're going to see, you should be able to find their credentials online, see exactly where they studied. And if their credentials aren't listed everywhere, that is a big red flag. And also, I think something that's really important to recognize is scope of practice. I see on TikTok a lot these myths be perpetuated by healthcare professionals For example, if you are looking for information about birth control, you should be receiving that information from an OB-GYN, like someone that is a professional in that regard. If you have a chiropractor telling you about your menstrual cycle and your menstrual health, please don't listen to them. If what they say is not backed right behind them by an OB-GYN, they're like, yep, that's true. And this is something that they learn from an OB-GYN. Or if they're not – like, they might recommend something and say, but you should talk to – Exactly. Also, 
I have never heard OB-GYN before. I've always heard OB-GYN. Oh, interesting. Because it's it's obstetrics and gynecology. So that's just always how I've heard it. I love that. I've never heard that, but that's so much more efficient. Right? I used to just say my gynecologist. Yeah, fair. Fair, fair, fair. Um, Gosh, there was something (laughs) that I wanted to... Um, Oh, scope of practice. Scope of practice, incredibly important. And then also just like, I do recognize that there is some sentiment here of like being a licensed professional. There are so many hoops and loops that you have to jump through on a daily basis to become a nurse, to become a doctor, to become a PA. And should that system change? I think so. Like the residency system for doctors post like working 80 hour weeks, getting paid minimum wage. Like that's crazy that they're overworking those people to the bone. But this is all to say that these are professionals who have dedicated their lives to a certain cause. And if you're going to listen to someone, listen to the people that have dedicated their lives, especially when it comes to your health, to the people that know the most about it, which are going to be the healthcare professionals, like the nurses, like the doctors, like the PAs. I'm off my high horse. I'm off my high horse. I'm not on any horse at all um, because I know nothing, literally (laughs) nothing about anything. But I'm done with my tangent now. Tell me more about this crazy bullshit. (laughs) Okay, so I think the worst part of all of them is she, in this interview, is asked if she cares about her customers' teeth. And she says, quote, if they have some teeth, I think it's okay to put veneers on them, end quote. Okay, Um, she said that her requirements to put veneers on someone are that the teeth are not actively bleeding. That is her one requirement. So she said that she has operated, put veneers on rotten teeth. On teeth, like the the woman that's asking the interview questions is like, oh yeah, what if they have rotten teeth or a large cavity? And she's like, I'll put a veneer on it as long as it's not actively bleeding. Hey, 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 quick question. What do you think is going on underneath that veneer with the rotten tooth? You think it's just going to magically go away? Oh my God. I about had a hissy fit, an aneurysm and an embolism all at the same time. I'm Are in you? shock. I'm speechless. Like just yeah. people's like complete disregard for the health of others and she hold on what is it in this interview she was asked what she does if people have broken teeth or really big cavities and she responds that's why people come to me instead of going to the dentist because she can quote just cover it up with a veneer and they won't have to worry about getting a deep cleaning root canals crowns she's just making it look better end quote hey what are you kidding me you can't just Uh do that no babe you can't put that's the equivalent of putting a band-aid over a gunshot being like well it looks better like no it doesn't no it doesn't issues like cause major health issues like inside of your body major health issues also issues with like your eyes and your teeth are some of the most painful you can experience because you have so many nerves innervating everywhere around that and those things so yes Okay, and then um, the interviewer proceeds to ask this individual, are you worried about anyone suing you? And her answer is, no one can sue her because, quote, they have to sign a paper saying that they know what I'm putting on their teeth and that they want it on their teeth. Hey, babe, um, medical malpractice, I don't care if you sign a piece of paper, like, you are endangering people's health and safety. Um, and she said that there are hundreds of veneer techs in her state of Georgia, which is very scary. That's really concerning. Right. And I tried to look into it a little bit to see, like, is veneer tech similar to, like, a dental hygienist where they, like, go to an actual school, not a one-day online eight-hour course, but they go to an actual school and receive training because in that case, if they are trained by professionals... Then I see, like, okay, fantastic. Then you have a sort of, you actually know what you're doing. 
but just slapping a veneer on top of a rotted tooth uh, leads me to believe, and granted, I could be wrong, that she knows nothing about (laughs) teeth. So that just really rocked my world. That's it. That's all I got. That's incredible. And you made me think about, maybe I'll cover this. There is a, I don't know why this reminded me of it. Maybe because TikTok. Sure. You know the, uh, do you know about the Idaho murder case where some guy like stabbed four people? In the house, right? And it was the teacher? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was not the teacher. Oh, it wasn't? No, but there's a TikTok um, psychic. Stop it right now. Shut up. It was a teacher. Shut up. (laughs) But I thought they arrested the teacher. Like his car was out front and yada, yada, yada. Okay. Then you are not thinking of the professor that she accused. She accused a woman professor. No. Oh, yeah. No, they I'm thinking of a man. did arrest somebody, but he's not a professor. Oh. He's just some dude. Brian Koberger or whatever. Yeah, I thought he was really either like a... Uh, I think he went to the school or something like went that. Went to the school. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Or, or he was like a TA or something. Something like that. Gotcha. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. But I, I don't necessarily want to cover... Well, first of all, the case is still ongoing. Like, they haven't gone to trial yet. Gosh. But... <laughs> it would be very entertaining to talk about the lawsuit going on between the psychic TikToker and the professor that she has accused. She is out here representing herself in this lawsuit and she's like Queen. <laughs> She's like Wait, the TikTok psychic is or the professor? The TikTok psychic. She's representing herself. She's representing herself and she's like I, this can't be defamation because I have proof. And they're like, how do you have proof? And she's like, I have eyewitness proof. I am a spiritual witness. It is bonkers, Tyler. (laughs) One of her websites and like one of her, she's had several different TikToks because she keeps getting them like removed from TikTok. (laughs) One of them is literally Ashley is God. Girl, yes! the most delusional shit I've ever seen in my life. That is amazing. Yeah. Wow. And I'm like, girl, do you realize that you are going to be found liable for defamation? Like, this is insane. You're going to jail. Yeah. (laughs) I am shocked. Oh, my God. Yeah. So maybe I'll cover that at some point because it's super funny. But this this veneer tech and Ashley, I hope y'all go to church. You guys go to therapy. Get get your life in sort. Get get a get a little bit of uh, not endangering other people in your day to day. Um, before we go, do you want to share your um exciting news? The engagement. Yes, I got engaged. Um, he got engaged. I am the luckiest man alive. Um, <laughs> I really uh, found the best partner, and I am so very fortunate. I've learned so much. From him in terms of relationship. Um, and I just love him with everything I got. So, so um, very excited. He proposed so in Japan. Thank you. It was wonderful. So romantic. Really romantic. Beautiful, beautiful area. He did it in. It truly was just like the perfect trip. And I love him. And like truly the best person I've ever met. Like we can do anything and nothing. And amazing. It, regardless of what we do, it is amazing. I'm going to stop. I'm going to shut the fuck up and stop gushing. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're embarrassing yourself. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, go rose. Take that off I'm the I'm just internet. kidding. Um, yeah. Love is beautiful. It really is. I love when people love. It really is just such a phenomenal thing. For the record, actually, Ethan recommended that eventually we tell people whose names we're talking about. Ethan is my husband. Oh, and, yes. Um, Greg is my fiance. Yeah, your fiance. Yeah. I was gonna say, isn't that such a fun word? Yes. But honestly, it's so true. Like, 
I got to an age and just like the length of the relationship where I'm like, it sounds stupid to call you my boyfriend. Like I cannot wait until we just get engaged at least. Right. Greg and I were dating for about three and a half, a little more years. And like, it just felt weird. So like, I think like a year and a half or two years in, I was like, this is the person I want to spend my life with. And so then I started calling him my partner and also as a gay partner is ambiguous and I like it. Like, I want you yeah. questioning, like, am I straight? Am I gay? Yeah. Oh, you can probably tell that I'm gay, but <laughs> I started started using partner after a certain point because I'm like, boyfriend sounds stupid. But sounds like everything is happening for you. You are everything you want out of life. It's amazing. I'm very honored. Um, So happy for you. Thank you. Okay. We should go. It's been like three hours. Wrap it up. Yeah, yeah, it really has been. Yeah. But it's fantastic. I know. I, um, so I love you very much. I love you too. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. You and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. listening and you can follow us on instagram at medium dives pod if you like the show send it to your friends thanks bye